Uh, but yeah, welcome back to those of you who just started school this week. If it's your first time here at Lighthouse, uh, we want to just give you an extra warm welcome. We're so glad that you can join us. Uh, my name is Francis. I'm uh, the pastor of the college ministry here, which is called Beacon. And we meet on Friday nights just like this um, for a time of fellowship and uh, learning from God's word and also a time of small groups after the message, which we're going to start tonight. And uh, if you're still checking out churches, um, especially if you're a freshman, I know you probably have plans to look around and stuff like that, but we really hope that you'll stick around and that you'll find just a home and a family here at Lighthouse. Uh, yeah, so we just finished up a study in the Psalms, and for the next few weeks, I wanted to take some time just to talk about uh, some topics specific for us as Beacon. And uh, my hope is that these things would become areas of growth for us this year, and even distinctives for us as a ministry. My hope is that these things that we're going to talk about these next few weeks would characterize who we are as Beacon. Um, and for tonight, the thing I want to talk about is what it means for us to be a Christ-centered community. Okay, what it means to be a Christ-centered community. And here's what I mean by that. I actually have this written down in like a document somewhere. But it says this, that we strive to be a community that has Christ as its greatest commonality rather than school, interest, personality, etc. Christ-centered community is humble, honest, and helpful to one another in a season of life where students can associate with and invest in so many different communities. We want, them to, te- we want to teach them to invest in, serve, and love the church. See, in this room, there are uh, many, many ways in which you are all similar to one another, right? And that's kind of the point of uh, a fellowship group like Beacon, Uh, it's an opportunity for Lighthouse as a church and for us as leaders to minister to you guys in a more specific way, right? Because you guys are all in the same season of life, uh, the same stage of life. And this is like with our other fellowship groups in Lighthouse as well. Um, Lamplighters is the fellowship group for moms with young children. And the whole point of that is they're going through the same stage of life and uh, it's an opportunity to just particularly minister to them, right? So there's a lot of similarities in this room. But as many ways in which you might be similar to one another, there are even more ways in which you are all different. Uh, just think about there's different campuses, right? Different schools represented here. Uh, there's different majors uh, represented. You're from different hometowns. You're interested in different hobbies. Uh, you all have different personalities. And we can go on and on and on, and that's just Beacon, right? Like, that's just this room right now, and we're talking about Lighthouse's college ministry. If you step back and you think about the church as a whole, like, there's even more differences. Uh, Age, occupation, family background, ethnicity, language, uh, socioeconomic class. You can go on and on. There's a lot of differences just within this local church. And some of these differences are really minor. Right? Maybe some of you guys cheer for different teams, sports teams, and others are much more pronounced, uh, different race or language or gender. In fact, we're living in a time where there is a lot of attention being paid to some of these differences. Uh, you may have heard this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. once, or before. He once said that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America as everyone gathers in their own churches. And let me just say, starting out, that I'm thankful for those differences, right? I'm thankful for all of the ways in which you or I might be different from one another. 
And I hope you understand that that's God's grace to us, right? As much as you might wish, sometimes that people would just see things the same way that you do, uh, I, I think you don't really want that, right? Like, I'm glad that people have different perspectives and uh, personalities, and there's just differences amongst us uh, because they make us better, right? We, we grow, we learn, we're made better because of the differences and the diversity. In fact, Scripture teaches us that the church grows, and it functions as it was designed with all of our differences, not in spite of them. And so when it comes to thinking through, like, all of these ways in which we're different, the most important thing to think about isn't the fact that they exist. Okay, it's not the fact that like, that's true, but it's what we do with those differences. Do they become the things that determine who we move towards and who we move away from? Do those things, uh, those differences, their interests or your preferences or your hobbies become the things that we gather around rather than Christ. You see, these inevitable and even God-given differences can either become occasions for division, or they can become opportunities to demonstrate the gospel. Occasions for division or opportunities to demonstrate the gospel. They are uh, opportunities to magnify the gospel because they show that uh, the gospel is greater than those things that might naturally divide us. And so the passage I want to look uh, at tonight is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. So if you guys have your Bibles, why don't you open and turn there. Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. And as you're turning there, this passage, I think, gives us this picture of how the gospel brings us together. Okay, despite our differences, it brings us together into one family. And as we're going to see in our passage specifically, Paul is talking about this divide or this difference between Jew and Gentile. And he tells us how Christ has broken down uh, what Paul calls the dividing wall of hostility. And uh, Christ has welcomed both Jew and Gentile into this new status or this new family. Now, I know I've been using the word difference um, to talk about these things, but actually, if you look at this passage, to call this thing between the Jews and the Gentiles just a difference would probably be an understatement. Okay, if you look at what Paul says, uh, he uses the word hostility, right? It's not just like a preference. It's not just like, oh, we like different things. Realize what Paul is talking about in this passage is no minor thing, okay? This is like super significant. Whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, had actual implications when it came to your relationship with God. It had actual implications when it came to salvation um, and God's promises. And so our passage is a much more significant difference than maybe some of the things that you or I uh, might think about or have to deal with. But I still think this passage is helpful because it shows us a couple things. It shows us how we can take those things and the ways in which we are different from one another, and we can use those things as occasions for pride, right? We can take those things, those ways in which we're different from one another, and use those things as occasions for division. And even though we're talking about this, like, really historic and theological example, I think we can still see traces of what happened between them in our own hearts today. And yet, what this passage also shows us is what Christ has done. 
Okay, it shows what, how uh, Christ has gone the lengths to bring us together into his family and into community with one another. So let's read this together. Um, this is Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Um, why don't we pray together? Father, you have brought us near. As people who used to be far off, who used to be separated, um, you have welcomed us in. You have preached the message of peace to us um, so that we might be reconciled to one another and so that we might be reconciled to you. And so, Father, as we dive into this passage, there's a lot in here, um, and we just ask for your help to understand. Um, but more than that, Lord, we ask for your help in just shaping us, informing us into a community that is really centered around the gospel, that lives out um, the, the reconciliation that we have received in Christ. Um, and so use your word preached um, to do that on our hearts now, Lord, we ask. Uh, and we thank you for just this time together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you got three points for us, uh, just to kind of organize our time. Point number one is the old hostility. Okay, the old hostility. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, right? It's a pretty famous passage. Uh, it tells us the situation of all believers before and apart from Christ, right? It says we were all dead in our sins and trespasses, but we were by nature children of wrath. But it says uh, through the gospel, through Christ, God has made us alive together with him. He's seated us with him in the heavenly places. And so if you think of like verses 1 to 10, as the like before and after of all believers, then our passage tonight, verses 11 to 22, is the before and after of Gentile believers, specifically. Okay, Gentile believers. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, uh, like that's us. Okay, if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. And Paul's message to us Gentile believers is uh, in verse 11, right? He says, to remember. Okay, to remember. And that word there, remember, is actually the only command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And what does it say that, what does Paul call us as Gentile believers to remember? Well, he says, remember your former condition. Remember who you once were as a people. 
that as Gentiles, not only were you separated from God because of your sin, right? Not only was uh, verses 1 to 10 true of you, you were dead in your sin, you were uh, following the ways of the world. But on top of that, as a Gentile, you were alienated from the people of God. You were outside of Israel uh, because of your heritage. And so you were doubly disadvantaged. Okay, so Paul says, remember like where you came from. Um, and here's where we kind of have to understand the storyline of the Bible a little bit. You see, the Jews were God's chosen people. And if you weren't a Jew, then like I said, you were just part of everyone else. You were a Gentile. And in the Jewish mind, these were the only two kinds of people. You were either in or you were either out. Okay, if you look at verse 11, right, you were either part of the circumcision, which is uh, Israel, or you were part of the uncircumcision, which is everyone else, the Gentiles. The thing is, the Jews actually were God's privileged people. Okay, they didn't like just make this up. They didn't just like falsely think that they were special for no reason. Uh, they were actually like privileged. Okay, God actually chose them. And that's what verse 12 is talking about, right? Uh, Paul says that as Gentiles, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. What is he talking about there? Um, backtrack all the way to Genesis chapter 12. This is one of the most important passages in scripture. And it's called, uh, this is where the Abrahamic covenant happens. Okay, in Genesis 12, God makes this covenant with Abram to bless him and to make his name great and to make out of him a great nation. And that nation, if you keep reading in the story of the Bible, was Israel. Okay, in Deuteronomy 14, uh, it says that the Lord has chosen them, has chosen Israel, to be a people for his, his own treasured possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. But why did God choose them? Well, if you read the rest of that covenant, he chose them because he, and he intended to bless them so that through them, everyone else would be blessed. Right? Through Israel, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Right? Israel was, was supposed to be this light to the nations. They were supposed to be God's model people, so to speak, a picture of what it would look like to have God as their ruler and as their king. Um, in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8, God says this to Israel. He says, I chose you to be my treasured possession out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, not because you were greater in number. Okay, not because you were greater in number. In fact, you were the fewest of all people. But this is why I chose you, he says, but because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Okay, you get that? God says, I chose you, Israel, not because of anything you did. I chose you because I love you. And that's it. But what happened is Israel totally lost sight of that. And they took what was intended to be this gift from God, this privilege that God had given them, and they made it this occasion for spiritual pride, and they made it an occasion for exclusion. Okay, for example, they took something like uh, like circumcision, which uh, God commanded them to, to get circumcised, right? And this whole thing, this physical symbol was supposed to represent this inner work that God was going to do on their hearts. But they took that and they missed the whole point and they made it this means of separation. Uh, similarly, they took the law, 
right? And the law forbid Israel from like eating certain foods. It forbid them from intermarrying with Gentiles. And they took that, and even though God intended the law to be for their holiness, it became a source of hate. It became a source of division, of separating themselves um, from the Gentiles and and hating them and, and being prideful over them. And Israel took their privileges and they thought to themselves, well, we have these things from God and you don't. So God must love us more, right? We must be better. And they started to think that they were better than everyone else. And so over time, as a result, Paul says, right, in verse 14, what happened? There was this dividing wall of hostility. It boiled over into this dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, And, like, listen to how bad this got. Okay, this is what one commentator says. He says, The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. If such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Right, so like, that's just a taste of like, how bad this was between that. Um, when Paul is talking about this dividing wall of hostility, like, this was literally true. Uh, it, at the, around the temple, there literally was a wall that the Jews had built to keep out the Gentiles. If you know anything about the temple, the innermost part of the temple was called the Holy of Holies, right? And uh, the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer sacrifice for sins. Beyond that, you had the court of priests, and then you had the court of Israel, and you had the court of women, and then beyond all of that, you had the court of the Gentiles. And this was separated all around by this wall um, going all around. And if you were a Gentile, you could, you could look up and you could see the temple, but you could never approach it. In fact, there were inscriptions on the wall which read, whoever is caught beyond this point will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. So, so this is the kind of division, this is the kind of hostility that we're talking about. And even though we're Gentiles, right? I'm, I'm guessing all of us are Gentiles in this room. Uh, I know we're really far removed from this, right? So, so we don't totally get it. But just imagine what that must have been like. Like just to be totally on the outside, right? Having no hope in uh, verse 12, having no hope without God in the world. If you want to talk about community, uh, a Jew would say to you, like, you weren't even born into the right one, so good luck with community. Like, that's the kind of outlook, or that's the kind of uh, or perspective that, that a, G- a Gentile would have, right? That's what they had to look forward to. But what did Jesus do? Verse 13. Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, right, Jew and Gentile, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So it says that Jesus broke down that dividing wall. And when Paul says there that Jesus abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, 
Uh, what he's talking about is that Jesus has taken those rules, those regulations that once excluded and alienated the Gentiles, and he's rendered them null and void. He's abolished them. He's removed them. So there's no more separation. As Paul says, that those who once were far off, right, who were on the outside, who were uh, separated, have now been brought near. Now, there's more to this that we'll get to in the next point, but I just want to pause here, and I want to think for a second what this might mean for us. Sin has alienated us from one another. It's created walls that separate and divide, and I know in this passage we're talking specifically about the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? But I think it's still true of all of our relationships in some sense. That sin divides and excludes and separates. It, it builds walls uh, that don't make reconciliation possible. Well, if we read here that Christ has removed that dividing wall, right? If that wall is no longer there, that separation is no longer there, if that's what Christ has done for us in the gospel, then let me ask you, do your relationships with one another in this gospel community reflect that reality? Like, are you moving towards one another knowing that Christ has cleared the way? If he has destroyed the thing that used to divide and to hinder fellowship, then are you closing that distance, so to speak? Right? Do you take active steps to welcome others in knowing that, he, that you, right, yourself, used to be on the outside looking in? But Christ has welcomed you. So do you welcome others in, in the same way that he's welcomed you in? Now, there's a lot of ways I think um, we can do this. But like just one really, really simple way that we can do this to welcome others in as Christ has welcomed us, us in is like just talking to someone new, right? There's like new people here every Friday. Uh, one way of welcoming someone is introducing yourself and just greeting them and making them feel at home. I know the dynamic of Beacon is a little interesting because most of you come here like together as a group, right? Like you are carpool together, you come as campuses, you don't really come individually. Um, I, I, I know, although I know like some of you do, um, but most of you come as a group, right? And so maybe it's easy to assume that like everyone just knows at least someone else. I think we need to be a little more mindful that whether you are coming on your own or with your group, that it's still very much possible to feel like an outsider, right? As it is with any group, as in any group, it can be possible to feel like you're still on the outside. But for us, as those who used to be outsiders, right, theologically, we used to be on the outside looking in. As those who used to be outsiders, can we grow in taking initiative or in taking that first step to welcome others in just as Christ took that first step in doing that for us? So can we welcome others in Point number two is this, Christ our peace. Christ our peace. Uh, so, so far we spent our time talking about this hostility that has existed horizontally, right, in our relationships, in this passage between Jew and Gentile because of sin. Um, but if you keep reading, there was hostility that existed vertically too, right? It wasn't just horizontal, it was vertical. It was between us and God. Uh, if you look at verse 16, Paul says, uh, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Okay, so we learn that Christ's work reconciles us to one another, but also most significantly, it reconciled us to God. And I think this is important because this is what Israel missed. 
Israel got so caught up in what they had, in their privileges and their advantages, and what the Gentiles didn't, that they missed the fact that under the law, everyone was condemned. Right? Everyone fell short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That sure, Israel had things like the law and the promises, but they didn't keep the law. Right? They still failed. And as different as they were from the Gentiles, in probably the most significant way, they were the same. Right? They needed peace between them and God. They needed reconciliation. They fell short. Uh, if you look at verse 17, that's what Paul is talking about. He says, and he came, or Jesus, and Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off, referring to the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, referring to the Jews. You see that? So both groups needed to hear the same message, that message of peace. Um, there's a, a writer named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, who was a Russian writer and historian during the, the time of World War II and Joseph Stalin. And he actually won the Nobel Peace Prize for his work. Uh, he was a, a former communist who ended up in a Soviet prisoner camp for 11 years of his life. And it was there where he, in his suffering, where he actually became a Christian. And after he was released many years later, he started to become well-known for his writings. And when he started to write, many people expected him to use his writing platform to go after his former oppressors. Right, to write back and to kind of get his uh, retribution, so to speak. But this is what he said in response. He said, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Did you get what he said? We can so easily start falling into the same mentality that the Jews had, right? What Solzhenitsyn is talking about, this us versus the world mindset. We're like, we're the good guys, and everyone else, like, they're just, they're the evil ones. But one way that our differences can go wrong is when they start to distract us from the fact that we are all standing on level ground. That we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Right? Whether you are advantaged or disadvantaged, whether you are privileged or unprivileged, we all needed to hear Christ's message of peace. But even more than that, the tendency of our hearts is to take these like horizontal differences between one another and turn them into vert vertical standards of good and bad, right? To make them vertical standards of whether someone is acceptable to us or not. See, we naturally tend to rejoice in those things that make us better than other people, right? We, we naturally tend to take something that God has given to us as a gift and think that, oh, I've earned it. And now because I have this thing and they don't, someone else doesn't, then it must mean that I'm better, that I'm more acceptable. And so, like, what is that thing for you? Is it your intelligence, your ability? Is it your personality, your theological knowledge, the school that you go to? What is it that makes you look down on others and that has become this occasion for pride and, and exclusion? See, one of the distinctives of uh, a Christ-centered community is that it's grace-filled. 
Okay, the environment is full of grace. Uh, a grace-filled, Christ-centered community is unafraid to boast about our weaknesses. It's unreluctant to affirm and celebrate God's grace and blessings in others. Right, a Christ-centered community, a grace-filled community, uh, you don't have to hold your advantages over the heads of others in order to validate yourself. Why? Because at the end of the day, the only thing, as we see in this passage, the only thing that reconciles us to God and to one another is his grace towards us. Right? It's not our advantages. It's not the ways that we're better than each other. It's his grace. Right? We don't deserve it. There's nothing in ourselves that we can boast in. I think Paul got this. I imagine that as he's writing this, he would have thought to himself, like, this used to be me. If you know anything about the story of Paul and uh, in the Bible, he's, uh, the first time we're actually introduced to Paul is in Acts chapter 7. He's, he's referred to as Saul in that passage. And it says that Saul in Acts 7 is ravaging the church. He's at the scene of uh, Stephen's execution. He's dragging people out of their homes to throw them into prison. I think as he's writing this, he knows, like, I was that man. I was that spiritually proud and self-righteous Jew. I was building brick by brick that dividing wall of hostility to keep others out. But what changed for him? Well, listen to what he says in Philippians 3. He says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. If for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What is Paul saying there? Saying, if you want to talk about Jewishness, if you want to talk about advantages, right? He says, I was the most Jewish of them all. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee in regards to the law. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I persecuted the church. Like, that is how deeply rooted my self-righteousness and my hostility was. But when the gospel penetrated into my life, he says, all of these reasons, right, all of these advantages, all of these things I held over the heads of people, all of these things that I had over everyone else, they became nothing. And in fact, I count them as loss. Right? They have no value in light of Christ and the gospel. They're no longer the things that make me matter or bring meaning into my life. They're no longer occasions for pride and self-righteousness and division. Why? Because I think Paul realized like, he didn't have control over where he was born or which tribe he would be born into or which day he was circumcised. And more than that, his, the gospel, I think, opened his eyes to see that all of these things that he was boasting in, that he was using to exclude others and separate himself from others, all of these things would never earn him righteousness and peace before God. That it's the gospel that's the basis for his welcome into the family of God. It's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what it's all about. Last point here. A new humanity. 
So, so far we've looked at who we once were, right? We were people who were far off. We were separated from Christ. We were alienated from others. Um, And that's important. After all, Paul's command in verse 11, right, is to remember where you came from. So we have to know, like, how bad it was. We have to know how helpless and hopeless we were. But in our passage, it doesn't just stop there, right? We see that Jesus doesn't just do away with those things, but he replaces it with something else. Uh, Where there used to be hostility, Paul says there is now peace. In verse 15, it says, he doesn't just destroy, uh, Christ doesn't just destroy the dividing wall, but instead he creates in himself one new man in place of the two. Right? One new man in place of the two. What is he talking about there? Well, when he's using the word new there, uh, it's not just new in terms of like time or just a better, improved version of the old. Rather, he's talking about something of a new kind. Okay? Something that is unprecedented, something that is unheard of. Um, It's not just the best of both worlds, uh, but this completely new creation where both are no longer what they used to be, right? So he's talking about this new humanity, this like completely new creation. And this new humanity or this new man is the church, okay? It's this new race. It's this new family of people who are no longer identified on the basis of whether they are Jew or Gentile, but on the basis of Christ, that we are now united in Christ. And notice how many times Paul repeats it in this passage, right? Verse 15, he says, who has made us both one, one new man in place of the two, right? Verse 16, he's reconciled us in one body through the cross. Verse 18, both have access in one spirit, okay? So we've been brought together in Christ. We've been brought together as one. Um, And listen to some of the benefits that we get as members of this new family, right? Verse 18 to 22, Uh, Notice what a contrast they are from the beginning of the passage. Verse 18 says that we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Access to the Father. Um, And realize this was like just unthinkable for a Gentile. Even if you were a Jew, the high priest would get to go into the Holy of Holies, right? The presence of God once a year to offer sacrifices for sin. What does Paul say here, verse 18? As members of this new family, we get this direct line to the Father. We get this personal, direct relationship. Uh, Verse 19, Paul says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, right? Uh, Citizenship that has to do with privileges, that speaks to belonging to a group. Uh, He calls us saints, right? Saints just means holy ones. And that refers to our status before, before God. Um, Paul goes on, he says, we are members of the household of God. All right, so all of these descriptions of this new family and this new community that we've been brought into, and there's a lot that's packed into each of these phrases, but here's the big idea, that in God's new family or in God's new community, there are no second-class citizens. There are no second-class citizens. We've been given this abundance of privileges. Um, If you keep reading verses 20 to 22, Paul even describes this new community of the people of God using this illustration of a house, or he he says, a dwelling place for God. And the idea there is that that each and every believer contributes to being a part of this structure for God. This is what the gospel has saved us into together. Um, That's what scripture says that we are as a community. 
And actually, if you keep reading in the rest of Ephesians, we see this similar imagery in chapter 4. Chapter 4 uses the metaphor of a body. But with that metaphor, again, it says that we are growing up together, the people of God being joined together as the body into Christ the head. And here's the thing about that. Within this structure, within this body, this new humanity, there are still differences. There are still differences. Ephesians 4 talks about unity, not uniformity. It describes this body with differences, with a diversity of gifts. But these gifts, those differences, don't work to divide and exclude. Rather, they serve to grow us into maturity. These diversity of gifts allow us to do ministry. Our differences allow us to build others up in love. Right? So there are still differences. But here's the key. All of that, right, verse 20, all of that with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the most important part of the entire structure. Okay, it was the standard upon which the entire building was built. Once you have the cornerstone in place, everything else conforms to it. Everything else is built in accordance to it. Everything else fits together because of it. So what is Paul saying? That as long as Christ remains the focus, as long as he's the center, as long as he's the cornerstone, the one that we conform to, in this community that we're in, this family will be stable and it will grow. But if you lose Christ, if you build on something else, if something else is that cornerstone, if you gather around something else, then that's when things go wrong. So how do we do this? Let me just give you two quick applications as we begin to wrap this up. How do we do this? And I'm talking about how I hope for Beacon to be a Christ-centered community. Um, Understand that it's more than just like Jesus being like the flag that we wave or the one thing that we gather around in maybe the same way that like you and your friends might gather around um, things like sports or hobbies or interests and like Jesus is just the ultimate thing that we gather around. Like that's true, it is that, but it's more than that. Uh, In Philippians 2, Paul exhorts the church there towards unity, right? Much of what we've been talking about tonight, unity or being centered around Christ. And do you know what instructions he gives for them to get there? Like, how do you get to unity? What he tells them to do is to be humble with one another. In other words, the kind of community that you will become is based on the commitments that you make as an individual. The kind of community that you will become is based on the commitments that you make as an individual. If you want to be united as a church, then commit in your own life to humility in everything. A Christ-centered community happens when you yourself are striving to live a Christ-centered life, right? a Christ-shaped life, a cross-shaped life. And so let me just give you two specific ways we can apply this. One is just in your conversations, in your conversations with one another, with one another what is the content of your conversations with each other? Like, what do they center around? I'm not saying that the only thing that you should be talking about is just like spiritual stuff, but like to be honest with yourself, are you actively taking steps to make sure that like these conversations at least happen? It doesn't have to be all the time, but are they taking place at all? 
Are you intentional about sharing what's going on in your life and allowing others to speak into it? And so what is one step that you can take tonight, this week, next week, this year? What is one step that you can take to create space for Christ-centered conversations? So in your conversations. Second, in your consideration of others as more significant than yourself. In your consideration of others as more significant than yourself. Um, I think the language of being humble and counting others as more significant than yourself is pretty familiar, especially if you've grown up in church, right? Like, you've probably heard that before. Um, But I feel like the more and more that I really think about that, the more and more I realize just how difficult and how unnatural that is for us. Like, it's not our default setting to think about others rather than ourselves. And so I think we need to realize, like, we shouldn't operate like it is. Like, we shouldn't operate thinking like it's just going to come automatically. And so again, what is one step that you can take to consider others as more important than yourself? Like, how can you do that during small groups? How can you do that uh, during snacks after, after small groups tonight? Before you show up to Beacon on a Friday night, can you ask yourself, how can I be practicing humility in these next couple hours? How can I be seeking God's kingdom by loving others well rather, rather than seeking the comforts of my own kingdom? I've had a long week, but how can I serve or love or encourage someone else tonight? And so consider others as more significant than yourself. In a moment, you're going to break off into small groups, and I know this might be new for some of you, but the purpose of small groups is to help one another grow up in Christ. Right? It's through relationship with each other. Uh, it's a chance, small groups is a chance for us to think through the message together and just to be in one another's lives. It's an opportunity for you to have Christ-centered conversations and to practice counting others as more important than yourself. And so my encouragement for you, especially in light of this message, is is really to try to take advantage of that time, right? really to make the most of it. Why? It's not just because I want Beacon to be a ministry where like, we just all love and care for each other and we just uh, love to be together. I do want that, but more significantly, because of the gospel. Right? That's what this passage teaches us, that Christ reconciles us not just to God, but also to one another that he saved us into this community together that is built on him as the cornerstone. And if that is what God has saved us into, then it's our privilege to get to live out those gospel realities together. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the gospel, and we thank you that you have not only saved us individually as believers, but together into this community. Thank you that we get to do life with one another and walk with each other and learn from each other. And I pray that we would really take this to heart, um, that we would remember and be grateful for uh, the fact that you have brought us near, that we used to be far off and separated and you've welcomed us into the family. So Father, I pray that for us as Beacon, we would live it out as a family, that we would be um, a family that is built on the cornerstone of Christ that the gospel would be so evident and fragrant in our conversations, in our consideration of others as more important than ourselves, and even in our time of small groups now. Lord, we ask for your help in that way. We thank you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.